it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Hope you're having a fantastic day or a fantastic morning. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, we have one guest coming up. It's Mike Rowe. Once we book him, we have trouble getting him out, so he just will not leave. So I did what I told Allison. I know you have a lot of other people, but what am I supposed to do? You leave me in here with him, and if he doesn't want to go, it puts me in an awkward spot. So let's leave the whole hour open. Also, we have a lot to discuss. We've got an impeachment going on. Two, uh, it only looks like there's two Republican holdouts, and I'm talking about Mayorkas, not Biden. We also have a look at possible retaliation for our strikes over the weekend, that we have 40 of our uh, men and women hurt, three dead, uh, and the president still trying to come up with a policy. And also, uh, we have a border situation uh, that is affecting every major city, including the school system in the city, including the homeless situation in the city, including the hotels in the city. And if you've seen some of the video, Saturday in New York, 42nd Street, outside a migrant center where they stay for free, three free meals, and they do their laundry, they decide there's a fight that breaks out. Cops come down, and then the cops get beat up. And guess what? Five of the guys arrested, four are now out. In what country do you hit a cop and get out the same day, let alone if you don't belong here? All this is related to the breakdown of the border, in my view. So we'll discuss all of that, too, as well as what's going on with the economy and how it affects people. Um, Mike Rowe is here. Mike Rowe has got the Mike Rowe uh, Works Foundation. He's a host and narrator, executive producer of How America Works on Fox Business. Do you have a brand new season coming out? Beats me, man. Uh, that's all on a need-to-know basis, and I just do not need to know it. it, but, it but I do. I know you do, and you know I wouldn't keep it from you if I knew. It's just that what I've learned is there's no extra credit for knowing things further in advance. Right, and if you can't get money or credit or no, school credit or that's anything. Right. And also blame lives right alongside credit. Which so, means? Which means If you know you it and forget it. it. <clears throat> if, you, if you want the credit in a show, for instance, you want to right. see your name up there exactly. in the credits, you also have to assume that there's going to be a part of the program that assigns blame. Right. So if you don't want the credit, then maybe you just let it go in exchange for not getting the blame and vice versa. The next micro book, mm. uh, no one ever told me. I, 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 no I, one told I, I me. I simply didn't know. Didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. Right? I mean, By you know micro. What? We joke about it, but it's it's the truth. I'm sitting here. I'm listening to you talk about all the trouble in the world. Right. I'm, I'm looking at I these I should have got to the positive. Well, look, the, you're, the news is the news, and people right. need to know all of this stuff. But, man, I I do worry about the exponential effect. I mean, because I, I, I feel it in me. Like when I look at sanctuary cities that are clearly caught in the web of their own hypocrisy. None bigger than the one you're in. When I look at – he's referring to San Francisco, which technically I moved from a few years ago. I was I, talking about this one, New York City, but oh, it, I, I didn't know you lived in San Francisco. Well, I've been there for 20 years, okay. but I, I, I left the city about eight years ago. I can still see it, but people are not imagining these things. You know, there's a – there's an unraveling. Yeah. You can feel it. And and I think it has a lot to do with the lack of consequence. And if you show people uh, cause without effect, if you show people action without consequence long enough, they'll start to 
they'll start to conclude quite sanely that the wheels have come off the bus. And I look, this is all anecdotal. I don't have any science. I don't have any studies, but I can feel it. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things that you talk about a consequence. So, for example, you have a Florida governor talking about politics who's got a great report card. Mm-hmm. Uh, people say, well, you know, he's a little cold. Okay, okay. Well, he's not a great one-on-one. Really? Okay. It's fine with me. Yeah. Gavin Newsom, what a warm guy. He's got great charisma, got great hair. Look at the way he holds himself, right. goes out and feels people's pain, puts on a windbreaker and yeah. rakes leaves. Yeah. And he's out there. He's such a superstar. He's going to help the president get elected. Mm. What's the problem with Gavin Newsom? I have it in my notes. Okay. Everything. San Francisco mayor destroyed the city, let crime run rampant, sanctuary city status. We all know what, what goes on there. Just look at it. You be the you make the call. But don't, by the way, don't expect to see the Raiders playing in the Oakland area because yeah. they left. Don't expect the athletics to play there. They're left. And, no, and everyone's like, I don't blame you. And then you walk through Los Angeles, overridden with homeless, taxes through the roof. You have this beautiful state that is without par in the country, I would say, with more diversity uh, in terms of the topography and ocean views. And people are leaving for the first time in my lifetime. So yet that guy's looked at as a superstar. You talk about lack of consequence. Flip over his baseball card. His batting average is terrible. Why is he a superstar? Because he's got great gel? The same reason that an entire town turned out. And Hans Christian Andersen's great story, The Emperor's New Clothes. The entire town turned out as the emperor, who was naked but told by his tailors that he was, in fact, wearing some really, truly right. beautiful garb, went on a parade. And the town, for whatever reason, went along with the illusion that the emperor had some fantastic clothes on. And so they stood and they applauded. They knew right. they were looking at something that wasn't real. And yet they were still caught up in that moment where they weren't going to acknowledge it. It took a child. It took a kid in the right. crowd to go, hey, hey, he, I can see his twigs and berries. Hey, that guy doesn't have any clothes on. And then, just like you are now, the crowd started to nod. Right. And then new voices popped up. Look, I don't know when the moment is or who the kid is going to be in my metaphorical crowd. But I do remember years ago saying to maybe you or I don't know who I was talking to, but that photo of the governor having dinner in the French laundry right on the heels of saying no one should do this exact thing. That left millions of people who I believe, and I, I'm very friendly with a lot of people who would vote for him tomorrow. It left those people with a level of cognitive dissonance that was simply undeniable. They had to square it. And look, the rest of us can sit back and say, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Say something that makes that okay. Say something that makes a sanctuary city who is now begging for help. Tell me something that makes it okay. I'm open to hear it. But the evidence demands a verdict. And a lot of people are looking around right now and saying, tell me how it's okay that those migrants who beat up that cop are out. I'll listen. I'm keen to hear how it's okay. Reasonable, persuadable people, Brian. That's who I want to talk to. And I don't know if any listen to this radio show. I mean, I I mean, I say it with respect, but who out there right now is still persuadable and who is able to hear something from either side, from the other side that makes them go, hmm, okay. You know what? I think we're at the point now. It's so much right and wrong rather than right and left. Uh, I really believe we're at that point because there's no nuance. For example, when uh, Trump came out and says we're going to get rid of sanctuary cities 
And I thought New York and Chicago right away. I didn't really know how many cities. I couldn't believe how many there were. So what happened is they go, how dare you? You don't like migrants. You're still like minorities. And they sued back. And they know we're going to get rid of the suit. But they back and forth. The courts win. The courts goes, they can keep it. Even though it seems fundamentally unconstitutional, not a lawyer. All right. You bring that up in 2024 now. Hmm. And you say get rid of those sanctuary cities. I watched the video in Chicago of of, uh, urban dwellers show up in Chicago in order to be able to tell the city council, I want to get rid of sanctuary city status because in my working class neighborhood, urban environment, I've been overwhelmed, overwhelmed with shelters. My schools that were promised as recreation centers at night are now uh, shelters for uh, for illegal immigrants. My fields are taken up with 10 cities. My kids have nowhere to play. So that is not a right or left situation. That's a right or wrong. And that's where I think we're in the right and wrong period in our country. Look, and that's I, there's not much to say other than the evidence demands a verdict and the people need to see the evidence of policies. We need to see what happens if we remove the consequences for shoplifting $1,000 worth of stuff. We need to see it. And then we need right to, now there is none. Okay, and we need. To, well, how's that go? Well, I mean, actually, that's not true. There are consequences. Uh, Walgreens closes, Macy's closes, stores leave, jobs get gone, businesses leave. Is- All of these things happen. Those are the consequences that I'm talking about. The problem is, if we point to them as a partisan on either side. Then the other side will conclude exactly as you just said. They'll they'll make an argument for his hair. They'll make an argument for his looks. They'll make an argument for somebody's electability separate and apart from the policies they embraced. And so we're being, in some ways, I'm afraid, reduced to a very one-dimensional kind of analytical species where all we're really able to do is look at the surface of the thing and then make some sort of prognostication. See, this is why I'm more optimistic and maybe more practical than Mike Rowe. (laughs) When you put those policies in place – there was one side that said, if this happens and you permit $999 worth of shoplifting, if you permit a lack of consequences and a dial down of consequences when it comes to crime, that CVS will close. And your retort would have been, no, it won't. Uh, it, it'll be fine. They can afford it. That's all built in. It's okay. It's in insurance. Okay, fine. Well, guess what happened? The minute that CVS closed and the Walgreens closed and the schools closed and the population went down, the representation of California went down, the gavel went down. The debate is over. We already saw the consequences. The question is, do you want more of that? Can you live And if with it them? happens, I'm leaving. Can you? And they left. Did it impact you, right? So all politics is personal, and every all these consequences we're talking about comes right down to the – are you affected? My dad had a heart attack right after Christmas. He was in an emergency room. It was overrun. He waited for hours. Suddenly – I'm very interested in why the emergency room is overrun. I knew it was overrun two days earlier, and I know it's overrun today. But in that moment of crisis, it impacted me. And suddenly Mike Rowe gives a damn about health care, like real hard. You know, that's happening to everybody on a thousand different issues. And I wish I could say this in a way that didn't immediately redound to right versus left, but with regard to consequences – Forget the politics for a minute. I I think, for me, that I worry about all of the unintended consequences virtually all of the time on virtually every topic. And politically, I wish there were a way to distill this. Pick a topic. Minimum wage. All right? Do I want to see people? 
prosper? Yes. Do I want to see people treated fairly? Of course. Do I think it's a good idea to guarantee 20 bucks at a minimum? I really don't. And it's not because I don't like those people, and it's not because I don't want them to climb the ladder. It's because I know exactly what's going to happen in a McDonald's if you do that. I know the cost of the Big Mac is going to go through the roof. And more importantly, Brian, I know the people whose entry-level jobs depend on that transaction, those jobs are going to be eliminated. And it's happening. It's happening in movie theaters. It's happening Ruby in fast Tuesdays. food. Ruby Tuesdays. I had to. You don't see a waitress. You yeah, actually. They're gone. Yeah, they're gone. They're gone. Rent control. I don't want to see people thrown out of their homes. I don't want greedy, rapacious landlords to be able to run amok without consequence and abuse their their tenants. I don't, no one wants that. But what do you think is going to happen if you forbid the landlord from adjusting the rent to reflect the reality of the market? You're going to have slums. You're going right. to have people. They're never going to leave. So on every issue, every issue, the only question I always ask myself is what's this going to right. do a, a year or two down the road? And if we don't have the patience to genuinely try and answer that, then I'm afraid we're still going to have we're going to be having the same conversation. But a couple of things that happened. Forever. We got down the road on a lot of these issues. We went down the road. And my question is, are you going to pull off the road? And that's what I think is happening. For example, the best example, and I thought you were going to go to it, was when the governor of uh, the governor of Texas started saying, "If anybody wants to go to a major city, I'm going to give you a bus ride." Mm-hmm. And they started doing it. You got about a hundred thousand, maybe more, uh, people going to Denver, Chicago, New York, and D.C. And suddenly, what Texas was complaining about was felt in New York and those in New York, Chicago, D.C., and Philadelphia. And, and maybe in San Francisco and Los Angeles, because of their governor, was always okay with that. Sure. Now he's giving them free health care, by the sure. way. Nuts. So now, you, now it is your problem. That's and right. And now, now you're going to visit sanctuary cities. And now you're uh, – I interviewed over the weekend two Democratic, uh, Democratic voters who were in Chicago, and they were active in their community. And they were all excited because the school that had to close down was going to be a rec center for their kids. Hmm. Then they were told there was no money to convert it. And all of a sudden, the money flowed in. They started rehabbing. I thought it was going to be their rec center. You know what it was? A migrant center. Where the money come from? The state and the city to convert it to a migrant center. And I go, wait a second. I thought there was no money for a rec center. He goes, no, it's a migrant center. So in come these people they don't know anything about. They've totally changed the texture of the neighborhood, and they still don't have a rec center. And these two Democrats on with me on Saturday just said, this has got to stop. We got down the road. We hit a dead end. Now you're going to turn around. Are you going to fix it? going to complain about it and but if you care about your life you're going to you're going to get involved and i think when it comes up again you're going to say i'm not i'm not happy i'm i am going to get rid of that sanctuary city i am going to put that wall up i think it's important to have legitimate asylum claims but not the ones with now i mean you watch that video this morning in new york city that happened on saturday you see 20 year old men mm-hmm. single men confiding age in their country who said they were too scared or sought asylum it is assumed they had to come to our country and they're brawling with each other. When our cops show up, they beat up our cops. Why are they still here? There is no flip side to that argument. No, there's not. And it's fair to ask that question. And it's fair to have the people who support those policies give an answer. In fact, it's imperative. Put them on the spot. The evidence demands right. a verdict. And and I get it. When right. you have those kinds of visuals, you have to run with them. It, it would be irresponsible not to. Right. But still... It's the splat factor. Until it hits you personally, right. until you're married to one of those cops who got kicked in the yep. head, then then the degree of your of your in, involvement right. will vary, right? So it's going to go splat for everybody eventually. 
I'm getting the one-minute cube. He's so experienced, Eric, you could actually tell Mike Rowe, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He wouldn't run I know what a minute is. Believe me. Believe me. I know what a minute is. I don't know what that means. Back in a moment. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let me be clear about this. A great majority of our members will not vote for President Biden. Uh, Yes, some will. Uh, But that's the reality of this. Uh, The majority of our members are going to vote their paychecks. They're going to vote for an economy that works for them, and they're going to vote for a president. When you look at these two presidents, the choice is very clear about which one stands up with the working class and stands up for labor and which one stands for the billionaire class, and that's his base. So uh, that is uh, Sean Fain, who's big-time union leader, who said, I'm endorsing, and we're endorsing, the UAW is going to endorse Joe Biden. We made him work for it. But he says, no doubt about it, a lot of people are going to vote for Donald Trump. Something happened in our our lifetime, Mike Rowe. Uh, It seems like with actually within eight years, suddenly the white-collar party is the blue-collar party Republicans. (laughs) And the guy that brought it is the so-called billionaire, Donald Trump, who who relates to – the blue collar born the white collar. Your thoughts? Well, it's what I He's said. saying it. I mean, I wish we could actually have a conversation about that separate from politics only because the language is so fascinating. Up is down, right is left, blue is white, right? Everything. You're right. I don't know how or when it shifted, but it all has. And when I was listening to that, I was thinking of another, like, horrible law. I don't know if you're up to speed on AB5. And what's going on right now, it's the basically the war on uh, jobbers and freelancing and the gig economy, right? Uber drivers. Uber drivers, but truck drivers. I mean, you got 50,000 independent truck drivers who suddenly lost their living as a result of this thing. And it's going before Congress, I think, in March. It's really coming up. And these guys are pushing hard for it. And when you eliminate freelance, when you eliminate the gig, man... I mean, that's going right at the pick line of the country. we got to pay attention to it. Absolutely. Uh, Mike Rowe here for a little while longer, unless he finds a way to work that door and beat that lock. Please, God. Please. <laughs> Back in a moment. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Mike Rowe is here. Uh, Mike Rowe Works Foundation is real. It's doing well for the people out there who want to roll up their sleeves uh, and get a job, wanting how to get started, and should understand you can make a great living. Uh, That's what Mike Rowe Works is about. Yeah. uh, We've got another million bucks we'll give away uh, starting the end of this month for work ethic scholarships. We give away a couple million every year, have done so for years. Um, I truly believe, as you know, and I always have, that there is a straight, path to something that looks a lot like prosperity and you don't need a four-year degree 
You need training in many cases. But, Brian, there are also paths that don't even require any kind of certification that can get you to six figures in 14 months. And I'm going to spend a lot of time this year talking with CEOs who run companies who have thousands of open positions that will guarantee you a six-figure job 16, 17 months in if you just stay on the path. Right. And we'll t- I want to talk more about that, too. But let's have some fun for a second. Have you noticed, and you might not have, I should have told you before, that Taylor Swift is dating Jason Kelsey. I did hear something about it. Travis Kelsey. Uh, Mr. Kelsey. Right. Okay, great. Good for her. Jason was the one who took off his shirt and ran into the stands in in Buffalo. Oh, that's nice. Right. He's the center on the the Eagles, but he's going to retire. Everyone reacts to retirement differently. Wait a minute. Taylor Swift is dating a retiree? uh, No. Um, His uh, Jason... Kelsey retired from the Eagles as a center. Uh-huh. Travis Kelsey's a tight end on the Kansas City Chiefs, and he decided out of all the women in the world, mm. he would date the most famous and the most eligible. Oh, good for him. 33-year-old. So yeah. now people are obsessed. Little girls are watching NFL games with their dads uh, and because saying, I want to mm. because of the cutaways of Taylor Swift. And a lot of guys are resenting it. Mm. Colin Coward, Fox Family, great uh, talk show host, had this to say about the guys that resent the fact that Taylor Swift is now part of their lives. Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Love him. Drake on everything. Spike Lee, Knicks games. Eminem, Michigan sporting events. We celebrate it. 80s, 90s, Jack Nicholson, Laker games. It's cool. Saw Jack. But a talented and beautiful woman is on the air, one who would never pay attention to lonely men and it bothers them there's a stat out there it's kind of uncomfortable for you sad guys that 50 percent of men never have real intimacy with a woman that means the other 50 percent have multiple intimate relationships with women and those ones that don't are angry and sad and lonely and they are often misogynistic and resent women who didn't give them the time they think they deserve we celebrate all these goofballs jumping on tables in buffalo and cheese hats and men and men and matthew mcconaughey and drake and jack nicholson men and men and men and eminem and it's cool and can i get a selfie and i can't believe i saw and the young attractive beautiful talented woman comes on for 25 seconds and you're bothered. Again, judge people by the silly things that bother them. This says nothing, this anger. This says nothing about Taylor Swift. It says everything about the men bothered by it. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so look, uh, it, it worries me. Uh, Nick Eberstadt wrote a book called Men Without Work, and he talks a little bit about this. You know, it's sort of a tertiary consequence of what's happening with 7.2 million able-bodied men who today, in the prime of their working lives, have affirmatively chosen not only to not work, but to not look. 7.2 million Nuts. Men. So, look, this has never happened in peacetime before. And I guess you could argue that whether or not this is peacetime, I'm not sure. But I do know that that's an awful lot of able-bodied men. The question then becomes, well, what are these guys doing if they're not working, right? Video the- games? Unfortunately, it's all screen-related. And it's betting, too. 2,000 hours a year, it's betting, it's porn, it's painkillers, it's all that stuff. Like this, this thing in my hand right now, if you're not watching, I'm holding up my phone, it's a portal into some amazingly great places and some really destructive places. It, this thing is more powerful than the Second Amendment. This is the First Amendment. 
I mean, it's Brian. It's so crazy. I could go on this stupid thing right now right. And, and and live stream on Facebook and reach seven million people, right? So maybe thirty thousand times your audience right now, right? I could literally put it on Facebook, and we we could do that. You really had to hurt my feelings. Yeah, yeah I felt like I owed you one, oh. but. So we're it's so bananas the power that these men have in the palm of their hand vis-a-vis or versus the will to do something productive with it. If you told me these 7.2 million men were taking all this spare time and volunteering with the JCs sure. or yeah. doing some community thing Absolutely. or some but that's not what the research says. So I'm not shocked that that many people are living their life without a shred of intimacy because they're also living their life without a shred of meaning. And that's a national tragedy. And we can look at them and shake our heads and say, what the hell's wrong with you guys? Or we can throw a lifeline out and hope some of them will take it. And I know what the lifeline is. See, you do this crazy thing where you always end your statements. I have, instead of just one thing to say, I have like five things to say and I end up forgetting four of them. It's a gift. Which makes me think that I need Prevagen, which should be a sponsor of this show. Uh, (laughs) Keep that in mind. Allison, he just mentioned the phone. What did we, what was, I was looking for a, a gift for Dawn for Valentine's Day where someone, someone asked me that when I was live streaming with my maybe one million people. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we, Kurt the Cyber Guy said, what about the goggles? So the virtual reality <laughs> goggles. Yeah. So if you think the phone is bad, can you imagine putting on what look like ski goggles around your head? You are not even in this room. You're, you might be in India. Do you have any idea what AI is going to do to porn? Porn has been on the leading edge. I did not think of these two things. Of every new, every new technology is always sharpened by pornography. From early newspapers, from the Gut- the, the minute they printed the Bible on the Gutenberg, somebody figured out we need could, pictures. We need pictures, right? And so, I I think about these seven point two million men. I think about millions of men who has never had an intimate experience. And never mind Hustler, never mind Playboy, never mind the phone. No, very, man, very now I got the goggles. You put on the, the goggles and you get into <laughs> your altered states little <laughs> machine and you'll never leave the house. Strap the stadium pal to your ankle. Right. You know, you'll never have to move. You'll just lie there in your own juice. So do you think this is a bad gift in, re- in, re- in retrospect? It's, it's a terrible gift. It's like it's giving- a terrible gift. It's like, listen, I know you could be with me, and I know you don't want to be, so put these on and go somewhere else virtually. So this is a terrible gift. It's, what was I thinking? It's like she'll it's- always choose the goggles, right? She'll, she will always choose the goggles over me. Yeah. I mean, how do you compete with a pair of goggles? And they're expensive. Sure, they're expensive. I am telling her, listen, I'm a handful. Yeah. You don't want any more of this. So you put these on. Mm. I mean, they're literally, they're still hot from the laboratory. This is how new they are. You put them on, wait for them to cool. Man, and this Valentine's Day, them. give her a gift she'll remember. <laughs> and forget about you. Oh, <laughs> right. So I'm now, not going to get that. Look, you have to laugh because if you don't, you'll, you'll cry. But it's coming. It's coming, but look, let, let me say that this isn't a challenge to the 7.2 yep. million. This is just a fact. I had a dinner last night with a guy who runs a company, shameless plug. It's called Groundworks. They build foundations and they fix foundations in homes that have cracked. Right. It's a serious problem. They have thousands of openings. And the path to six figures, no joke, you start 55, 60 grand a year. Is it pleasant? No. Will you crawl on your belly under a house through the mud to fix a foundation? Yes. Will you learn how to do it? Absolutely. Can you be making 120 grand uh, 14 months later? 100%. So 
I'm not saying, hey, the reason these guys aren't doing this is because they're lazy. I'll let you connect those dots. I'm just saying, hey, with regard to the American dream, there's a narrative out there that says it's dead. There's a narrative out there that said everything is rigged. There is no hope. The four-year degree lie, the skilled trade thing, it's not, it's not just that. You can still prosper in this country today. Absolutely. You can still do it. It's not easy, but I can show you a path, and that's what I'm going to do in 2024. So I, I, when I was out in California in Malibu, I was renting just one small room in Malibu. And uh, the guy said, I'm going to be selling the house soon. I said, all right. He said, just give me $500. I had no job, and I had to sign you know, everybody else. You need to send the background check. I'm like, you're not going to like my background check because I don't have a job. I'm hopefully get one soon. Guys, if you just give me 500 a month, that's okay. He could not sell his house because of the crack in the foundation. And he could not find anybody to fix it. That's so, so odd that you said that. It's out of sight. It's out of mind. But it's also a metaphor that I'm giving you permission to steal from me and run with. Our country, our country's foundation is cracking. Right. Our personal careers, 7.2 million men, their foundation is cracking. The literal foundation in our homes is cracking. And the people who are going to fix them right. are not going to come out of the Ivy League, and they're not going to come out of some think tank. They're going to be regular men, by and large, who are willing to crawl through the mud to do a thing that still matters, and it's dignified, and it's elegant, and it's essential, and we have to challenge them right. with the existence of the job. See, I thought Vivek had one line that I thought was so cool when he, would go to, he went to young people and he went to cities, which I thought was important. But he said, people, young people need a sense of purpose. Give them a sense of purpose. Don't just say, go do the job. I was like, well, why? I was having a good time at home. What's the sense? Give them a sense of purpose. What's your goal? Well, I don't have one. Well, how do you get a goal? Let's think about what you want. Okay, what do you want? How do you plan on getting there? This is how. Don't judge. Help. The greatest so, gift the greatest gift is to do something that needs to be done that you learn to love. Right. If you can think of it that way. Look, it's the opposite of what we tell kids today. Today we tell them, look, follow your passion. Think about what will make you happy and then go on a course to get it. That's bull crap. That doesn't work. Look around, find an opportunity, figure out how to get good at it, and then learn to love it. That is how you work. Right. That's how you figure it out. It's not a straight line. It's a crooked path. Marry your vocation with your avocation, and you're going to be good. But I, I just don't hear that lesson anymore. Right. I, don't, I just don't hear it being taught, and I don't see examples of it. Final thought, the very existence of success stories today is interpreted by so many people as a threat to their own choices. And I don't mean to, to threaten people with this, but I don't know how to help people other than showing them evidence that demands a verdict. There's two, there's two things that could be helped with advertising. Number one, these major corporate sponsors who want an image ad that's going to help the country in their product, you do people being successful. I don't want to know about this. I don't, Jamie Dimon, we got him. We understand. But the, what is success? You know, I, I grew up this way, and I have three kids. I'm making, um, have a great job. I'm manager of such and such. I coach the softball team. Never been happier. My three kids are graduating. I'm giving away. And all of a sudden, you see that edge. You get the full screen of the product. That's it. It's the way they sell Miller Lite in bars. Why not show it to a slice of life? Look at our friend, Arthur Lee. Yeah. All right? And thank you for introducing him, by the way. This is the guy who invented LifeVac. Shameless plug. Had him as a guest on my podcast maybe a year ago. We have since saved 10 lives in my audience. 
just my audience alone. They bought it. Be- because they bought the device, and the stories that come in are incredible. I only make the point because a guy like Arthur is doing something that needs to be done that he also happens to love. There's meaning in his work. I mean, you've known him all your life. This guy is now, he has a mission, he has a purpose, he has a product, and right. he is obsessed with getting it in every school, every airplane, and every firehouse around the country. We should all be so lucky to give a damn to that degree, right? right? But he worked his ass off to get there. And he did, and, and it's all an American company built in America with American products mailed out by Americans uh, in uh, on Long Island, uh, and he was offered the same amount of money to sell the company. He wasn't convinced the person was as passionate about him, so he said no. Look, man, I, 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 he's, those guys matter. Their stories are important. Micro is important, too. A few more minutes, unless he finds a way to work the lock. A few more minutes to close out the hour with Micro. Please, God. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. We have a few more minutes with Mike Rowe. Uh, Mike, we were just talking about Arthur Lee, and we were talking about life back and innovation. Um, What gives you hope? Let's end with hope. You meet so many so-called average, everyday people. Do you sense that uh, people are seeing that it's really up to them? To well, revert, I mean, the thing you told me this morning is that that Wall Street Journal column, you said over 60 percent of the people in America thinks the dream is dead. I think it's the biggest story in the country because I think virtually everything else we've talked about is a kind of symptom to the underlying problem. And the underlying problem is a kind of despair. And it's the kind of despair that settles in when people truly believe either the system is rigged right. or that there is no path for them to anything that looks like prosperity. I know I'm hopeful because I know the facts contradict that. And I know if I can, in my little world anyway, make a more persuasive case for those facts and those opportunities, then I I know some people will grab that lifeline and they'll go for it. Um, I don't really know what to say about the 7.2 million men that we were discussing. I don't – I can't want it more than them. And I I don't want to anger them by suggesting that they're lazy, it, whether they are or whether they're not. It it all I can say is there is a door, and if you want to walk through it, mm-hmm. this is what it looks like. That's my job, you know. And I'm I'm fired up by it. My foundation is working. We've assisted over two thousand people so far. I mentioned before we've got a million bucks to give away at the end of February. You can apply for a work ethic scholarship over there. But look, man, beyond that. You got your podcast, too. Podcast is killing it the way I heard it. Thanks. Uh, new shows are in the works. But but mostly it's this it's this amalgam of things that's happening. What, CEOs are calling me from all over the country to say, can you work with us to make a more persuasive case for the opportunities that exist in our company? Because, Brian, they can't do it, right? It all starts to sound like the same crappy, suspicious marketing that we, somebody has to be out there in the world, a cold, dispassionate, good-natured voice that says the opportunities are here right? and you don't have to go to Harvard. By the way, I can't help but we were just talking about this. The average grade point average for Harvard graduates in 1955 was 2.5. Today, it's 3.8. That was summa cum laude. 
when I was in school. I don't know what an A is worth anymore. I don't. All I know is that credential, that credential is still incredibly valuable, but it is no longer tethered to an actual education. People are buying their credential. Parents are starting to understand there's a lot of rot in that, and they're starting to look right. in other directions. And we saw and the anti-Semitism that rose up on campus, and people are reevaluating. We saw the, the way these elite, these elite institutions, presidents, afforded themselves and embarrassed themselves. Many lost their job because of it. This is what should give you hope. We're reevaluating the Ivy League education. We're the seventy-two thousand dollar uh, education. Yep. Look, it's all. I and think they better it's straighten out. I think you can draw a line between the hypocrisy of a sanctuary city and the underlying lie that has convinced the whole generation that the best path for the most people is the most expensive path in the educational system. That's nonsense. That's right. nonsense. And people are starting to see it, and that gives me hope. Right. Okay. We're going to end on a positive note. It's, there we go. Right. We're and a couple was, of glass-half-full kind of guys. How much were you hoping that we wouldn't spot you on the guest list and ask you to come on the show? I, it was – I mean, I wouldn't take the over-under on it. Right. It, 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 probably 50-50. And when, once the call came, you feel so guilty saying no. It's hard to know what to hope for in this building. Really. <laughs> Everybody wants you in this building, Micro, <laughs> who looks cool casual. That's yeah, the hardest yeah, thing I'm, for me. I'm just as God made me, Brian. Right. I don't know what to tell you. And a tie, I don't know. But casual – you were made for casual. I'm wearing three pair of underpants right now. Did not know, know that. The truth. Did go. not really want to Something know that. Something to think about. Do I have to? <laughs> Brian Kilmeade Show. Just Mike say Rowe. Goodbye, dude. Thank Just you. Say goodbye. I'm going to. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. I come to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Jennifer Griffin at the bottom of the hour. She's uh, the world's finest Pentagon reporter. Amanda, we need some dissemination about what our military is up against and what our plan is in the Middle East, in Ukraine and beyond, along with our challenges uh, in the uh, Taiwan Strait. Uh, And Michael Goodwin is standing by in New York where we're seeing some of this video of NYPD cops being beat up when they try to break up fighting that's going on in a illegal immigrant center that we're all paying for. It is so out of control in this city, maybe in your city in Denver, maybe in your city in Chicago, maybe in your city in Philadelphia and D.C. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is what's going to happen. The House of Representatives is going to impeach Secretary Mayorkas, and there is absolutely nothing anyone can do to stop it. There you go. The impeachment. That's what Secretary Mayorkas is staring at. After three years, his plan to open up our border has been exposed. Will the Republicans have the votes to finally throw him out or at least throw it up to the Senate? I don't know. But I love the embarrassment and exposure he's experiencing. Number two. General Ryder, have you attributed to Kateb Hezbollah or any other group who was responsible for this drone strike? So, Jennifer, uh, Central Command is still assessing, um, but again, we are confident this attack was sponsored by Iranian-backed proxies. Right. Uh, Kitab Hezbollah is located in Iraq. We believe they killed, wounded 37 and killed three. Uh, we will talk about that as they all fight for their lives. They're at Saturday's attack. President is contemplating action and retaliation, but against who and what will he do? And is he worried about expanding the war? Does he want to say again for the million times, I don't want war with Iran? Well, they want war with us. Does he have the guts to go at the heart 
of the problem. Number one. Every hotel room we have in the city of Denver is full. We're at 5,000 people in shelter, and we have more coming every day. At what point does your city reach its breaking point? Yeah, I think our city is very close to its breaking point now, and we've been talking to leaders in D.C. around the country about why we need to take action here. Uh, Joe Biden's upended life uh, in almost every major city, compromised on national security, and stopped any legitimate reform because no one trusts him to implement anything that comes out of Congress because he's shown no willingness to do so to date. Quick note, if you want to, if you have to leave our family of affiliates, the one you're listening to right now, you can always grab our app, look at watch, swipe through, find the radio version, and you'll be able to see the Brian Kilmeade show. Joining us now, a guy that probably does that when he's out of town, Michael Goodwin of the New York Post. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Michael, uh, I don't know if you've seen the footage uh, Saturday of our our great uh, policeman, NYPD, coming down to break up a fight. And next thing you know, they're being targeted and beat and kicked. And four of the five that they caught are already out. Well, you know, Brian, when I first saw that last night... um, my heart was racing because, again, try to put yourself in the in the shoes of the police officers, right? They could have pulled their guns in the beginning and just shot all of them uh, or one of them even, but they didn't. And then when they're on the ground being kicked and beaten, the cops, you know, it, it's it's a practically a miracle that one of them didn't lose their guns to one of the perpetrators, and we, we would have two dead cops. Um uh, I mean, that's the kind of thing that is happening on the streets. Yeah. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, the city council of New York and all the politicians are attacking the cops, you know, putting them through this new paperwork grinder, which would have them write down every encounter with every citizen, no matter how insignificant, uh, any time that the police ask anybody for any questions, they would have to make up a form, race, gender, and age. Of course, race, because it's all about, aren't all cops racist? I mean, that's what the politicians say. I would like to see a body camera on a politician. I would like to know what every member of the city council, what they do all day, who do they talk to. Let's get a report on their interactions with the public. I think a lot of New Yorkers would much prefer the police to the politicians when it comes to who do they trust in New York. I think there's no doubt about it. And the mayor did the right thing. He said, do a ride along. Understand what a police officer goes through. They did. And the city council still overrode his veto. Why? And they know they're shorter cops. Now, they just made their job harder. They don't have co- complete qualified immunity. So they know one mistake or one perceived mistake. Not only are they out of a job, they're being sued and they lose their livelihood, their house and their family. So there's more incentives not to do this job than ever before. Now, this city's been compromised. 67,000 we keep here. Maybe it's up to 70 now. I don't know if you've seen Denver. If you see what's happening right now in Denver per capita, they have it worse than New York. And the mayor, the liberal mayor, says we just need money. No, your schools are overrun. Your city's overrun. You've run out of shelters. You've run out of hotels. And you don't realize that you are the problem? I don't want to give you more money. You're the problem. You're the magnet. 
Well, look, uh, that's why what's happening on the border with Governor Abbott of Texas is so important. It's why 25 Republican governors have rallied around him and offered to send some have offered to send their own National Guard. This is the moment. I mean, this is the, this is an election year issue. The border ha- is now front and center. It is the most uh in, in the polling, it shows up the most as the thing people are concerned about. Uh, it is where Joe Biden has his lowest approval ratings. I referenced in my column Sunday a, a uh, CBS News poll that found that on border and immigration issues, Biden has just 30 percent approval and 70 percent disapproval. And so as I said at the column, you know, the, the old James Carville line, you know, it's the economy, stupid. This year, it's the border, stupid. It is the most important issue, and I think Republicans in the House are right to resist this big bill coming out of the Senate. It is essentially written by Chuck Schumer and uh, approved by some Republicans. It would do nothing to stem this tide. It would allow up to 5000 a day. I mean, that is 35000 a week. It's, it's well over a million a year, and that's an improvement. I mean, it, this, is, this is foolhardy. What is America going to do with the six or seven or eight million who have come here just during Joe Biden's tenure? I think it's more. See, here it says the president, and I, I agree with Dana, he's so insulting to the American people that he won't give an interview. And when he talks, it's in front of a, pl- a helicopter. And we can't even make out stuff like world peace, uh, stuff like the future of our border, a match, a a possible uh, stare down with the federal government in Texas. And he won't stop and talk to the press, which is us. He won't stop and give statements on issues that matter, even on an election year when he has a bully pulpit. He just comes out and pretends he's a blue collar guy and starts yelling at union workers. But this is what sold me on this. I can't do this. Joe Biden has all the tools to do the remain in Mexico, to finish up the wall, to put pressure on Mexico, to put 20,000 Marines on their southern border and reinstate the sanctions and withdraw the aid to these other Central American countries for not controlling their population. But this is what he said. Cut one. Have you done everything you can do with executive authority? Or is there more you can do? He's lying. He's lying. It's an absolute lie. It's an absolute lie. But, you know, Brian, you're right about the format. The helicopter in the background shouted questions. He can always say, I didn't hear. I mean, this is how he does everything. Remember the whole thing when the, when the first Hunter Biden payments came out that went to his family? Uh, and then another one of those, you know, helicopter waiting gaggles, he says, it's not true. And that's it. That's all he has ever said about it. So the White House skillfully uses this format for him to make blanket statements that are not true, but there's no follow-up. There's no way to get it. And then his comment gets reported, and therefore he's addressed it. He said something that becomes a talking point for other Democrats and that the Democratic media plays up as though it's some kind of a definitive response. I mean, this is because they cannot subject him to real interviews. He can't handle it. And why would why would anybody give him another four years? Why would anyone do that? 
I, I think the answer for a lot of people is Donald Trump. That's the only answer that the Democrats have, and that's why Joe Biden is going to be their nominee. He has persuaded the party leaders that because he won the 2020 election, he can beat Trump and nobody else can. I mean, I, I don't know whether that we don't know whether that's even true anymore. But there's given the approval numbers, you know, on the economy, on the border, on foreign policy, giving the mess in the world, you would think the party would have a lot more questions for him, would have that that others would say no. I mean, so it shows up in the polling. And once in a while, you'll get a Democratic member of Congress saying something about their concern. But there seems to be a willingness to just roll over and take Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as the ticket for four more years. And look, so, I think a lot of people will will not vote for Joe Biden, A, because of his performance, his age, et cetera. But I think there will be others who will not vote for Joe Biden because it's effectively a vote for President Harris, because there's no way, no foreseeable way that Joe Biden could possibly last. Right five more years from now in the White House. So there's a morning consult poll that just came out from Bloomberg. North Carolina, Trump up by 10. Nevada, Trump up by 8. Georgia, Trump up by 8. Wisconsin, Trump up by 5. Michigan, Trump up by 5. Pennsylvania, Trump up by 3. And Arizona, same thing. Uh, that is that is something Trump was never doing when he was well, in office. And he wasn't doing it in 2016. Yeah. Look, I think I think a couple of things, Brian. I think, first of all, we're talking about the border. Donald Trump had a good record on the border when he left, and the border was in better shape when when he left than when he started, and it's in worse shape now under Biden. And then, of course, you have the Mideast that's blowing up. That was It was pretty quiet under Trump. It was pretty clear whose side we were on. And if there was any doubt, uh, Soleimani got the, got the drone. Uh, so... Those two issues alone, I think, are driving these polls in Trump's favor. I mean, he has I mean, it's very odd. You had you have effectively two presidents, one of whom beat the other, uh, running against each other. And you can really compare their records on very specific things that matter the most. I mean, it's it's quite it's quite an enlightening uh, experiment we're running here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Michael Goodwin writes about uh, uh, writes about this, all this and more in his column on The New York Post. Uh, you could always uh, follow him on uh, on X M Goodwin underscore NY Post. Michael, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Brian. Thank you. All right. Uh, when we come back, I'll be able to take your calls for the first time today. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You could also go to BrianKillMe.com. Just click on comments. It'll come to me. Uh, also, at the bottom of the hour, we talk Pentagon. We talk about the attacks that are coming. Uh, from us to the to whoever did what they did in Jordan, Jennifer Griffin, latest from the Pentagon. You'll listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So we have provided 
already in this fiscal year around $121 million to UNRWA. Uh, we are the largest uh, donor, or historically every year have been the largest donor to, to UNRWA in the world. Uh, we had remaining about 300000 a little more than 300000 in, in, in funds to, that we were planning to provide to UNRWA. That funding has been suspended. You think so? I don't know why. Only 13 members of UNRWA actually participated in the October 7th attack. What is that group? The main aid organization that takes uh, 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 imperiled situations around the world, this case Gaza, and they get aid there. That's the one who does it. That's why we write the checks. Well, I don't know. Two years into the oh, Trump administration, they said, I'm not giving any more money to these guys. It went down to zero. Well, as soon as Gaza, uh, the uh, Gaza war started and the Gaza got what they deserved because of October 7th, aid started flowing in through UNRWA, and we wrote a check for $154 million. And then all these revelations come out, not disputed, and so many countries have dropped out and said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be a uh, party to this. So UNRWA got exposed. Then it turns out 150 different, 159 different members have been associated with Hamas. Can you imagine what other terror groups they're involved with when you have thousands of people around the globe working for this U.N. organization. You know, it's bad enough publicly they're anti-Israeli. But I didn't think they were actually killing Israelis. So now this U.N. agency, people like Bernie Sanders are coming out and say, say, listen, because there's a few bad apples, we should still give them money. Really? A few bad apples? Are you crazy? Why would we give them money? And about a dozen countries have stopped writing checks to them. There are other organizations that get in there, other NGOs that will work there. That's exactly what we should be doing. And think about this. It's our taxpayer dollars that went to UNRWA who killed Israelis. They actually used their humanitarian designation to find out information about that kibbutz where all these people laid. And one of the UNRWA employees was actually keeping one of the hostages in his attic. So they went and provided unbelievable amount of intelligence, logic would tell you. They provided the ammo. Text messages went out to dozens of UNRWA employees to go join in the breach on October 7th. These guys got to be totally dismantled. They should be worldwide outraged. And thankfully, most of our allies have backed out of this. Some said, well, for humanitarian purposes, I don't, well, don't want to stop funding. No, you have to. Because Hamas is getting it first and getting it directly, there's no way we should be funding this. All our aid went to a subterranean war zone underneath the underneath Gaza. Instead of the roads paved with gold, these beaches become tourist destinations. The area could be thriving like a mini United Arab Emirates, only you would have this all this beachfront property. We're waiting for a response. We're waiting for some strength. I don't want to hear that the Israelis aren't being disseminating enough. I want to find out what we're doing about the 160 attacks on our guys. Here's Senator Roger Marshall, cut 11. And Joe Biden has given us war through weakness. Um, and it's hard to retroactively re- to, uh, to get his reputation back. Once you lose your reputation, you never get it back. I want to remind your listeners of what President Reagan did in 1988 when Iran mined one of our warships. And he responded by military attacks on Iranian oil platforms out in the ocean, as well as taking out three of their warships. Look, everything needs to be on the table. We need some type of response yesterday before we lose even more American troops. He's got most Republicans' response. And I'm looking at the Washington Post today, and the Washington Post says, yeah, you got to respond. The Washington Post editorial section said, you need a plan. You know, hitting the Houthi rebels has not stopped the Houthi rebels. Hitting Qatab 
uh, Hezbollah has not to stop the Hakkab Hezbollah. Going ahead and threatening sanctions to put back on Iran has not stopped Iran. You got to decide to choke them off their oil. You have to decide to eliminate and put amazing amount of pressure on all these militia groups. And you better come up with a, a feasible plan to work with our allies to wipe out the Houthi rebels. Because the Red Sea is costing you and our economy money. You know what's also hurting? China and India. You might be able to get some bipartisan cooperation and uh, some cooperation with other countries, even some of our enemies, if you had a plan. Get a plan, Joe. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So Kateb Hezbollah has just put out a um, message on Telegram suggesting that telling its fighters not to attack U.S. Uh, bases in Iraq and Syria, suggesting that they will support uh, the fight in Gaza in other ways, and suggesting that even if the U.S. strikes them not to respond. What is your response to that? Yeah, we've, we've seen those reports. I don't have a specific comment to provide other than actions speak louder than words. You know, I don't really get much out of uh, Major General Pat Ryder's press conferences. Maybe that was designed to do, be a communication mouthpiece with the Pentagon's doing while not giving away the plans. But that was the question that Jennifer Griffin asked, because we're all wondering what Joe Biden decided on in terms of reprisals for the attack over the weekend. They killed three Americans and many more struggling for their lives. Jennifer Griffin uh, joins us right now. Jennifer, uh, what did you get out of that press conference yesterday and what do you, what options do you think they're looking at now? Well, Brian, based on my reporting, uh, I think it's no surprise that we haven't seen a reaction yet. Uh, remember, when when you come up with uh, targets and a strike plan, uh, you have situations. You have to look at the uh, the moon. You have to look at the clouds because you have drones in the air. Usually, when the U.S. strikes at targets, um, you know they try not to kill civilians. So um, so they have to have eyes on the targets for some time. They also would like to see in the wake of the Sunday attack and in the wake of knowing that the president has said that he has taken a decision to respond. He'd like, they like to see, and they're watching right now, how the IRGC, how the other uh, Iranian proxies are responding. Obviously, they're probably trying to hide some of hide themselves, hide their fighters, as well as uh, some of their their missiles and drones. Um, so they're watching. Um, I think, from based on my reporting, I think that the president, this is going to be, and this is something that CENTCOM has been planning for some time, uh, a, a campaign that will take out. Uh, IRGC sites as well. Those are the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, as well as these proxies in Iraq and Syria that clearly, uh, you know, it was only a matter of time. And it's been very frustrating, I think, for us, as well as for many of the commanders in the Middle East and and at SITCOM to watch uh, us have to just be in a defensive crouch and take 165 attacks on our troops. And it's only through the incredible defenses that have been set up at these bases and outposts and on these Navy ships. You just heard yesterday the USS gravely shot down another Houthi anti-ship missile that uh, would have had devastating consequences if it had struck one of those ships, international ships going through the Red Sea. So this is a very complicated problem set. Uh, You know, I think I would be very surprised if the president, the White House, or the Pentagon 
uh, took a decision at this time to strike inside Iran, but I think they're going to want to make it very painful for Iran, and therefore all of the uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps assets that are based around the region, they are all fair game. And I think I would not expect to see uh, any sort of strike. Remember, the, the three Americans are coming home on Friday. There will be the dignified transfer at Dover. Um, there, some of these, you know, when it's, I've been told this is not going to be a one and done strike. This is a campaign. It will last days. It will, uh, it will, there will need to be an element of surprise. It's a little surprising that as much has been said from the White House so far that the president has taken a decision. Usually they're a little more circumspect, but I think, uh, there is a realization that there's a great deal of Amer of anger, both uh, here in the U.S., uh, but also uh, among those who are watching, saying, hey, what are you going to do about this? Because China and Russia are watching. And they're also warning. They both came out with warnings, and so did Iran. You better watch it uh, on the level of your retaliation from this. What do you take from those warnings? Preemptive warnings. warnings from from Tehran or from uh, from the White House. We saw warnings from Tehran, Russia, yeah. uh, and yeah. China. Well, I think that again, uh, those warnings uh, really won't affect. I Hope think not. the president's decision or the Pentagon's decision, based on again conversations that I'm having, and the mood behind the scenes is deadly serious in terms of the need to reset the table and to reestablish deterrence. They, there's a uh, and uh, there's been a re uh, recognition for months uh, that the deterrent, uh, the ability to deter. Iran and its proxies, because remember, and this was in the statement yesterday from Kateb Hezbollah, that they uh, welcome martyrdom, they're willing to sacrifice their people, they don't mind dying, and and that is really hard to deter an enemy that doesn't care about dying. And you see what Israel has faced in Gaza, that's really a microcosm of what the U.S. is facing with regards to these Iranian proxies. Uh, they can hide among civilians, they hide in hospitals and in mosques. Uh, it's you know, this, remember Saudi Arabia for a, almost a decade, where they were uh, fighting against the Houthis, trying to stop the, the Iranian-backed yeah. Houthis in Yemen. After the Houthis, you know, stepped over a line and fired uh, missiles and drones at the Conoco. Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia uh, uh, oil fields, as well as at their airports, they weren't able to stop them after a decade. So the U.S. has incredible firepower. It has incredible air power. But the other thing to take a look at, Brian, is the position of some of the naval assets. Remember, the USS Ford, the, the most state-of-the-art aircraft carrier, was pulled out of the Mediterranean because it needed to come home for, you know, it had been at sea for a long time, and these aircraft carriers have to come back and get serviced. Uh, we have two aircraft carriers in the Pacific, but only one in the Middle East. That's, um, you know, that's probably one too few for the Middle East right now. There are a number of uh, DDG destroyers, and you saw the USS Gravely, uh, Kearney, and others. They have been taking down these anti-ship missiles and drones fired by the Houthis. But at some point, they're going to run out of um, a, a stockpile of missiles on board. There are only so many that you have on board, and they're firing at them at a pretty, pretty steady pace right now. So what is our intelligence like where the Houthi rebels are located in Yemen? Because we've hit them, we've hit them a number of times and it has not stopped them. And we yeah. are, I understand, with on the breakdown of the rockets that we use to knock down their rockets uh, yeah. and their drones. I mean, we have multi-million dollar rockets oh, being yeah. used to knock down drones that work a few thousand dollars in some yeah. cases. So how long can we keep that ratio? 
Well, that's that's the real um, golden question. Uh, in terms of intelligence, the U.S. knows where these Houthi bases are, where their storage facilities are. You notice the last time that the U.S. did strike, and they struck six to eight targets inside Yemen, the, for, for the first time they struck underground targets. That's not so easy to do. So you have bunker buster bombs. But that shows that just like in the Gaza Strip with these tunnels that Hamas has been digging for the last decade, the Houthis have been preparing for this. And Iran wants to bait the U.S. into a broader conflict. That has been Iran's goal. That's Iran's goal by supporting Hamas and trying to draw Israel and the United States into a broader conflict. Mm. On the one hand, uh, you have to respond. On the other hand, you don't want to get sucked into a, a Middle East war. We saw how that worked out for 20 years in Iraq and in Afghanistan. So, so it's delicate. There are targets. We have the munitions. We've got the intelligence. Uh, but you also have to understand these are mobile targets. The, a lot of these missiles being fired, they're mobile. They're on the back of trucks. They're moving. Uh, so you've got to have um, you've got to have a decision taken. I'm not sure. I mean, you're stretching the limits of what the AUMF, the authorization for the use of military force in Yemen, uh, for the U.S. to be striking in Yemen. Uh, yes, you you have the right to self-defense based on U.N. secure, you know, uh, re uh, resolutions. But, but you know, you're, you're in tricky territory. I don't think anyone would have a problem right now with the U.S. striking in Yemen. Uh, but, but like in Gaza and Hamas, they hide among the civilians, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's tricky business. And it's tricky business without boots on the ground, and the U.S. does not have boots on the ground in Yemen. Right. Uh, so I, I read the Washington Post this morning, and they said, hey, uh, Mr. President, you know, good, go for retaliation, but what's the plan? And yeah. brief Congress on what the plan is. Get consultation yeah. on what the plan is, but what's the plan? Well, it's a good question, and it's a question that can, um, you know, we can ask ourselves going back to 9-11. What was the plan for the Middle East going back prior to 9-11, go back to 1991, the first Gulf War? Uh, the, the problem is the U.S. gets caught in this retaliation cycle with these terrorist groups, with these uh, these groups funded by Iran and, and al-Qaeda. And, and the strategy, I mean, the strategy has been, and you've been seeing it, and it's been frustratingly slow, is building up alliances in the region, working with, uh, with partners. You heard the, the Prime Minister of Qatar on Brett Baer's show last night, special report. Qatar has been a key player, UAE, Saudi Arabia, but, you know, it's very notable that when it comes time to fight against terror groups, uh, the Saudis, the UAE, Egyptians, they're nowhere to be found. They, they won't come out publicly in favor of what the U.S. is doing, and the U.S. In the US military ends up doing the dirty work. The Brits are by our side right now. Uh, they have been very effective in the Red Sea. Um, uh, there are, you know, about 20 members of the, the anti-ship uh, anti-Houthi alliance that are patrolling the seas, but they're not in favor. But that alliance is very tenuous because uh, other than the Brits, there are no others who are willing to take uh, proactive strikes against wow. the, the Yemenis. That's why in the last time, the last time the U.S. struck in Yemen, it was just the U.S. and Britain. So it is very complicated. I expect that we will see something in the coming days. I would expect uh, that it will be bigger than in the past. But the question is, will it deter Iran and will it deter those, these proxies that have been arming themselves 
for the last two, three decades. Right. Uh, I also saw the Washington Post ended with the Biden administration needs to rethink strategy on Iran generally. Know that there's no clear path. The previous attempts to engage with them has not worked through negotiations. Yeah. The nuclear programs hit a dead end. Uh, as General Keene said to me last week, you have policies. You don't need to come out and make a big deal about it, but you have to reverse them. You have to know yeah. when you were wrong. Results should tell you what to do next. Being friends with Iran has not worked out for us, trying to be friends with them. That was one of the reasons we took the, the Houthi rebels uh, reportedly off the uh, off that terrorist. Well, uh, wait, Brian, let me correct you on that, because the reason they took the Houthis off the terror list was because the U.N. and the aid agencies, they were they were facing a famine on the ground in Yemen. And they were saying that the sanctions were making it so they could not uh, um, actually feed the people there. So that was the pressure that they were feeling in January of 2021. They also and this is factually accurate and you're right. Uh, they also were trying to engage Iran to negotiate uh, the, you know, get back into a nuclear deal that has failed. The administration will have to admit that and will have to put back on all of the stringent sanctions that were in place before against Iran. That's the biggest problem is that those sanctions were lifted and it's given Iran more money to fund these proxies. So if we put those sanctions back on, what makes you think China will adhere to it? Well, that's why Jake Sullivan was meeting with the Chinese foreign minister uh, earlier this week. Uh, There's and you heard John Kirby talk about from the White House trying to get uh, China to put pressure on Iran to stop the attacks on the shipping in the Red Sea because it's affecting global shipping. So the question is, will Beijing um, play ball on this? Are they going to exert influence over Iran? Uh, It's not clear. I mean, for for China, China is hurt as well. Um, Remember, they need to get their their uh, oil from the Middle East. And if that shipping route through the Red Sea is closed off, that's that's a problem. Um, so China might be willing to play ball on the Houthis. Uh, it's, I, I doubt that China would step in and try and stop uh, pressure Iran to stop the proxies in Iraq and Syria, because that's good for China. They like seeing the U.S. Yeah. Uh, embarrassed and under pressure there. But the other real factor is Russia. All of this from October 7th onwards was designed and supported, uh, whether there was evidence of direct support or not, but it was com- uh, Putin was complicit because it takes the focus off Ukraine. It takes the focus off, um, off his war in Ukraine. And he believes that the U.S. is going to get weak need, stop supporting mm-hmm. Ukraine, and only focus on the Middle East and get sucked back into a quagmire in the Middle East. So watch Russia right now and know that everything that's happening is interconnected with Russia and China. Right. Uh, that They have fortified their connections with North Korea, uh, too. So a couple of things. I understand the IDF is now no longer thinking about flooding the tunnels. They are flooding the tunnels. They're much more extensive they, and elaborate. So what do they plan? What do they hope to do by flooding the tunnels with water? Well, they've done this in the past, and it, it, it works in some circumstances. In fact, the people who started uh, flooding the tunnels originally, you know, probably a decade ago, were the Egyptians along the border with Rafa. They used a water to flood those tunnels because that's how the weapons were getting in. So much smuggling was taking place going into Gaza along the Egyptian border uh, in the Sinai. But the, what I've heard since the IDF started uh, the flooding in, in recent days of, of portions of the tunnels, remember, this is 300 miles long under the Gaza Strip, uh, that remember, that's a very sandy soil there, and supposedly the water is seeping out and not as effective as perhaps in the past. Um, What I remember, we reported early in the conflict that the the Israelis 
have the ability to not just flood the tunnels, but put a a sort of explosive foam or a, a, a foam, yeah. a chemical foam down in the tunnels. What I don't know is why they haven't used that option yet. But remember, the hostages, you still have 136 hostages. They're in the tunnels, most likely. And so you're moving along at a snail's pace, trying to, on the one hand, remove the tunnels as, a, as something that they can use uh, tactically and strategically. Uh, but you also want to protect those hostages. Um, and you also, they could be booby-trapped, and, and those IDF soldiers are at risk. We only have a minute left, actually, uh, 45 seconds, on uh, Ukraine. Is there a way to get the funding out without the border deal? You know, I would, based on conversations that I have on the Hill with Republicans and Democrats, there is still broad support for for supporting Ukraine militarily because they know that it's the best investment in terms of destroying the Russian military and and containing Putin. Uh, So I think at some point... You may have to just do a straight up or down vote. Um, uh, I think there are a number of Republicans in the House uh, who are uh, very clear-eyed about Ukraine and the importance geopolitically and why it is so important to stand up to Putin uh, in right. Ukraine. I just can't believe there's there's such so people, especially on the right, that don't think it's worth it, and it's just crazy to me. It's Jen- very hard for yeah. me to understand when you think of the party of Reagan and, and the strength uh, the peace through strength that that we all came to realize was what ended the Cold War. All right, Jennifer, it's going to be a it's going to be a very uh, intriguing time. So, so glad you're at the helm, Jennifer Griffin. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need to know basis because man, do you need to know? It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade right here. Um, just watching some of this uh, tech conference. They're trying to get safety for kids uh, online, and uh, it's amazing to see these CEOs just refuse to do anything and just pretend as if they care about safety on the Internet. David, listen on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, David. How are you, Brian? It's a real pleasure. Uh, unfortunately, the founders were correct. The average person on the street doesn't have the ability intellectually or a clear enough understanding of the issues to vote for the president of the United States. It should be left to the legislators, which that even of itself creates a problem, but there is no solution. If a guy like this could fall ass backwards into the White House, we've got a serious problem, a serious, serious problem, and we should take another look at how we vote for the president of the United States. I don't know. I mean, you mean the Electoral College? You don't like that, or you don't want every citizen to get a vote? Without getting into the weeds about it, it's a, it's a big conversation, but with the founders, when they were trying to figure out a way to vote for the president of the United States, they felt that that should not be left to the general population. It should be left to your individual legislator, and maybe there's something to be said about that. Yeah, although the legislature is supposed to represent us, and I'm not too sure they're smarter than us. Um, I'm pretty sure they're not. Brian Kilmeade Top Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We got a lot going on today. Glad you're here. I'm trying to go in and out of this tech conference uh, that they're having now. All these CEOs of major tech firms, including Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, Meta, whatever it's called, uh, up there, including the TikTok CEO. This guy's a Intelligent guy, but I just feel like he just tries to dodge everything. Senator Lindsey Graham, as usual, unbelievably prepared. 
We'll bring back some of that tomorrow, probably, but we have so much to do today. Martha McCallum will be joining us today, putting in perspective on 2024, the huge debate when it comes to the impeachment, uh, and also the big debate when it comes to the future of uh, reforming uh, reforming border, uh, reforming the border and immigration. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is what's going to happen. The House of Representatives is going to impeach Secretary Mayorkas, and there is absolutely nothing anyone can do to stop it. Well, we'll see. Uh, Senator Mo- Secretary Mayorkas is staring at, uh, uh, I guess, embarrassment. After three years on the job, he's been an absolute embarrassment to the country. Will the Republicans have the votes with just a one-vote majority to throw him out or kick this up to the Senate? Well, they will try to save him. This is the first time we've had this since the 1870s. Number two. General Ryder, have you attributed to Kateb Hezbollah or any other group who is responsible for this drone strike? So, Jennifer, uh, Central Command is still assessing, um, but again, we are confident this attack was sponsored by Iranian-backed proxies. Absolutely, and that is what Hezbollah is. While 37 of its soldiers fight for their life and three have lost their lives due to Saturday's attack, the president contemplates action in retaliation because everything he's done to this point is always in reaction and embolden our enemies, these ragtag militias. Does he have the guts to get to the heart of the problem? Number one. Every hotel room we have in the city of Denver is full. We're at 5,000 people in shelter, and we have more coming every day. At what point does your city reach its breaking point? Yeah, I think our city is very close to its breaking point now, and we've been talking to leaders in D.C. around the country about why we needed to take action here. Complete breakdown. Biden's upended life, uh, up, uh, upended Biden's upended life as almost every major city compromised our national security in almost every major city and stopped any legitimate reform because nobody trusts him to implement it, whatever is put on his desk, because he decides to do his own thing. And when he came out and basically said, I can't do anything, when he, the first thing he did is change everything Donald Trump did from building the wall to pressuring the Central and South American countries to keep people there to putting threatening tariffs on Mexico, putting in the Remain in Mexico issue, getting rid of uh, getting rid of uh, single males that come through, automatically eliminating anybody that comes through um, without going through a port of entry. He did all that, but yet he says this. Cut one. Have you done everything you can do with executive authority, or is there more you can do? Absolutely, all I can do. Just give me the power. I've asked for the very day I got an offer. Give me the border patrol. Give me the people. Give me the people to judge. Give me the people who can stop this. Just a joke that he won't even sit down and and do an interview, a press conference, but he'll do it in front of a chopper. Here's Congressman Mark Green, who's leading the impeachment of Mayorkas because of the way he is refusing to admit the border's not closed, refusing to admit this is not a cri- This is a crisis. Cut to. I think I recall in the first two years of this president's tenure. The House was controlled by the Democrats, the Senate was controlled by the Democrats, and the White House was controlled by the Democrats. Why didn't you fix it then? You were in total control. The Homeland Security Secretary has said, well, I'm just going to ignore these laws and do what I think. I'm going to take my agenda for immigration because I can't get it passed through the House or the Senate, even when my own party's in charge. Yeah. So 
They're trying to say what they always say, and uh, this uh, terrible press secretary always says is, you know, we put out there first day in office to pass comprehensive immigration reform, and nobody passed it, not even bringing up the fact they controlled every branch of government. And I'll add something else to this. What he put out there was unacceptable. It had just basically giving amnesty to everybody who was here illegally, rewarding bad behavior, while also saying over and over again, if you come, you're going to be treated humanely if you say you're suffering from oppression. That's why people donned the Biden-Harris T-shirts that came across the border and said, thank you, Joe Biden. But listen to people just playing politics with something that everybody knows differently. Here's Congressman Robert Garcia. Cut five. Well, when you say that you want to pollute the when, when immigrants are polluting this country, th- that that to me and the blood of this country, that is absolutely uh, reminiscent of things that, that Adolf Hitler said. And in fact, his his imagery, the way he supports white nationalism, the way he supports white supremacy and those kind of comments are completely offensive to immigrants and hopefully to all Americans in this country. Good. So just to be clear, you're drawing an analogy between Donald Trump saying he is like Hitler. I'm drawing an analogy that the rhetoric that Donald Trump uses is very much the rhetoric and the type of rhetoric that, that Adolf Hitler used. Gentlemen. Right. Uh, number one, he doesn't support white supremacy. He doesn't re- support white nationalism. That's what you think. Uh, it just so happens that majority of country is white, and he did it 77 million jo- uh, uh, votes last time. I think Joe Biden got more. He doesn't have a history of supporting segregation or uh, being best friends with Senator Robert Byrd, who was the uh, former grand wizard. Of the KKK. So that is not on Donald Trump's resume. He's got to go change that. So Robert Garcia came out and just said basically he's Hitler. No, he's not Hitler. I don't, you know, poison the blood of the country. No, but I could say that when you bring in 8 million people that don't belong here, that we really know nothing about, you're changing the makeup of the country. The rhetoric he uses not from Mein Kampf. Believe me, you can't in one side of your mouth say Donald Trump doesn't read, doesn't know anything. On the other side of your mouth, think he's a Hitler historian. Here's more of the rhetoric. Blame Trump. Cut six. Donald Trump actually has said that he wants to build alligator moats along the border. That's one of his incredible ideas. Another idea that Donald Trump has promoted is he actually wants to electrify the border fence and maybe even put some spikes on the border. That's another Donald Trump and MAGA majority border idea. Another idea, which I'm not sure how how well it would go, is he wants to actually bomb northern Mexico with missiles couple of things. Now, let's look at that. We had a bunch of candidates come out, including Ron DeSantis, and say, we know where the cartels are. We know they're doing human trafficking. Uh, we know that they uh, come across our borders and breach our security. We know they're as evil as it gets, and they basically control Mexico. And if we knew exactly where they were, we should take a shot at them, number one. Number two, spikes are a type of fence that's on the ground. So it would stop major cars, for, uh, trucks from coming through, but wouldn't stop people. Number two, he does want to build a wall. He has speculated. He goes, why don't we just electrify this thing and make sure people don't touch it? No one's going to touch an electric fence. Is the goal to stop it or not? Is it humane? Let's debate it. But what, what is the difference? Anyone listening to me right now or Robert Garcia, the Democrat from California, believes that the president is committed to border security. There is no one listening to me right now who thinks this president is committed to border security. He lied to you again saying, give me the power. You had the power. You got the pen. You had the executive orders. You undid it. That's the huge difference. Now, about the impeachment of Mayorkas. So what happens is it's only two holdouts. It's McClintock and it's Congressman Ken Buck, who is just outdone with the Republican Party. I mean, he, like me, agree on this, ousting 
uh, Kevin McCarthy was absolutely idiotic and stupid. Done. Absolutely wasted so much time for him. Uh, it was tough. And for us, it, the country got hurt. But he says, I don't really know if I could do this. What has Mayorkas done to not get your support for this? Look, it's going to get stopped in the House. He can keep his job and keep embarrassing himself. But Tom Homan has said flat out, and people have said that he knows exactly how to seal the border, and he's lying to you when he says it's sealed. He's lying to you when he says it's not a crisis. He's lying to you when he says he's engaged and understands it uh, currently in the challenges right now. So either say, I'm just following Joe Biden's policies. But you know what Joe Biden said a couple of days ago? It's a crisis. Oops. It's a crisis. So about the impeachment, I'm not pro-impeachment because unless it's egregious, it wastes everyone's time. But once it's started and they start presenting their case, the only thing Democrats are saying is that he's just doing the policies he was told and but where he doesn't know any better. So he's allowing him to embarrass himself with his own words and his defenses are so idiotic. When we come back, Martha McCallum will be joining us. I'll be taking some of your calls, but also getting her perspective on 2024. Christopher Ray has now begun testifying about the dangers of China. And now China, who made a pledge, uh, evidently, in San Francisco to President Biden, they would not infiltrate the elections. I watched Fareed Zakaria on Sunday, and he said, isn't it great that we were reproaching life with China and kind of walking back from the brink? Do you know what they got to see with the FBI director saying here? They've infected our water system. They're looking to our cybersecurity. They're trying to breach their individual uh, executives in our country uh, and our lighting grid. That's what they're trying to do. And we're saying it's a new era of friendship with China. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's a lot of really weird, lonely, insecure men out there. The fact that a pop star, the world's biggest pop star, is dating a star tight end who had one of his greatest games ever, and a network puts them on the air briefly, that it bothers you, what does that say about your life? Judge people sometimes on the silly stuff that bothers them. It'll tell you a lot about them. When I hear this whole thing about Taylor Swift, I just want to watch football. Liar, you're lying. That's not true. A football telecast is not just football. In fact, the commercials for four hours before the Super Bowl will be widely watched. Did you know statistically in a three and a half hour NFL playoff broadcast or regular season broadcast, just 18 minutes are actual football. And we have the data. We have the numbers. You don't turn away. There's coaches cutaways. They show fans in Buffalo on fire. Uh, commercials, reviews, 18 minutes of real football. For the record, about the length of five Taylor Swift songs. So Colin Coward, a fantastic sports host on Fox, uh, came out and just said, for somebody who is the definition of sports purist, Martha McCallum, it's great to see you. Your show starts at 3. Hello, Brian. And thanks for giving us some quality time. Love Uh, being with you always. But I wanted to just see what you thought about that. I mean, you you are a big sports fan, and you're from a big sports family, Mm -hmm. and there are athletes in your family. I had I have no problem with Taylor Swift. I never did. I was I'm amazed that it's lasted. I'm just I kind of watch it, but I'm amazed how how many people feel 
that she's intruding on the game. And he says it's because they have a problem in their life with relationships. Well, I'll just tell you this. I, I just saw the uh, president of the San Francisco 49ers who was on FBN when I was going on to talk to Varney. And I was like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I was I am one of those. I was sort of hoping that Kansas City wasn't going to make it to the Super Bowl because I, I am tired of the whole thing. I, ju- I just think it's like. I just find it annoying. I can't explain why. That's my human being reaction to it. I know she has a million fans. One of them is very close to me. My daughter has been a huge fan since she was a little girl. And you've known your daughter your whole life. People are so excited about the two of them. They love them. I kind of feel like, and now I know how people felt when I was, you know, a Tom Brady Patriots fan, they're like, eh, I hope they lose all the time. So now I'm kind of getting a, 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 well, a little bit of a whiff of what that was like. Okay, let's play it out. Uh, when you watch the, because I know you have a uh, in the New England, you have a house in the New England area. When you watch the games, they do a lot of Giselle. There's this family. Yeah, they would always occasionally show Giselle. If she was there, you would see her. And right. I said the other day, I'm like, now I'm really missing Tom and Giselle because, um, you know, I, I just, I, I, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I'm just, right. I, I get it. I get that people love her. I get that she's an enormous star. I think some of her music is good and, you know, like more power to her. She's huge, you know. But I'm just telling you my gut feeling when I watch the whole thing is like, ugh. Okay. <laughs> I, I have never I, I have never thought I should go to a concert. I, I know a couple of her songs. But I've always appreciated her talent. I know she works hard. I guess Absolutely, I, that, she the does. The first time I really knew how big she was was the Kanye West thing when he said that yeah. they took over the microphone. So, know what I like about it? I don't. It uh, doesn't bother me. I don't think she necessarily wants to be on camera. In fact, one time she was probably, "Can you please no cameras?" She was on the field. The cameras came up to. She goes, "Please no cameras." I have to say, this is not this is not my time. But she kind of wedged herself in with the family, and that is where the Kelsey family is. So why not go on there? Well, she's always completely taken on the whole world and life of any boyfriend that she. Oh, has. is that true? I mean, she was dating. RFK Jr.'s son right. for a short time, and she purchased a house that is basically <laughs> on the Kennedy <laughs> compound. Okay, it was right across She's, the street. She knows a lot about. She, Taylor you know, Swift. I don't. I honestly, I don't want to come off as you know. I, I don't hate her. I don't. Begr- I just, for me, it becomes a little much. But she's a huge star. I've gone to two of her concerts. I paid for tickets. I brought my daughter and her Were they friends. Great? You know, yeah. I mean, everyone there. Absolutely loved it. Did it's you? not really my kind of music, right. you know, but um, but she she's and she's a force. She's an incredible businesswoman. And but it is, you know, it, it is always all about her. So I don't I'm not really buying it when she says, please, no cameras, because she's wearing like bright red lipstick and an enormous, you know, jacket that was personally made for her with this well, number on it. Red. If she wanted to go undercover incognito, there are ways to do right. that and be at the game and not distract right. from the game. But it's just not her style. You know, I, you but, know, the chiefs are red, though. Yeah. That's why she did the lipstick. Oh, well, no, she always wears red lipstick. Don't you know that? Okay. Even I know that. Well, I mean, it's reddish. That was bright red. But I so she wanted to lay her lips. I think she looked great. I mean, it's not like somebody. She it's not like she did her hair or anything for the field post game. She didn't look great in post game, I mean, right? I mean, it's not like she was dolled up. Okay, <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> but I'm just saying that made it seem more natural. Like uh, okay. I'm the girlfriend of a guy. Right. But here's the other thing: anyone who says his performance has dropped because of her didn't watch no, that game. He had an amazing game. An he had a couple of drops game. a few weeks ago. That's it. Yeah. And now, um, apparently, she's going to become very instrumental in the 2024 election. That's big. 
Sure. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of— What makes you think that, by the way? I know people fear that. I know the Bidens want that. Well, she has endorsed him before. So in I'm 2020, not, just yes, one tweet. So why wouldn't she now? I mean, I, I can't imagine having – she has been political in the past. She inserted herself in the Tennessee Senate race against Marsha Blackburn. Um, that was 2018, though. Right. And Blackburn won. But that was Tennessee. So I I don't doubt that she will become involved in some way, shape, or form. Do, do you think that somehow someone will go to her and say – Just based on her own past, you know, and what Look she's at Ben Midler. Look at Barbara Streisand. Look at Cher. They became, for a while, Cher not as much, I guess, they became almost synonymous with, with whoever the Democratic candidate was. Do you want that? You know, I think that Rob Lowe was Mr. Republican and Ben Affleck was big with Al Gore. And I think, I would just imagine, on some point part, they said, listen, it's not helping you. It's not, you know, why make people look at you and think they well, like my guy? Well, she is very calculating. That's and I mean. she may decide that it doesn't work for her. But remember what a big deal it was when people, oh, is, is Oprah going to endorse yes. Obama? To me, this is more the equivalent of that, right? The other people that you just mentioned don't have the kind of nationwide power that Oprah had at that time. She was basically in the psyche of almost every yeah. you know, mid-aged, voting-age woman in the entire country. And that's where Taylor is. So, uh, you know, I see those as, as equivalent. It was a big deal. I, I don't think Obama was ever going to lose that race. I think it was, you know, his to win. But clearly it was a big deal when she supported it. And, and I, I wouldn't be at all surprised. You know, he does vaccine, at, vaccine support commercials. Uh, right. Travis Kelsey. So I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if she felt she needed. And to Aaron Rodgers kind of took him on on that a little bit. That was yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's his choice. You know. Did you enjoy this moment? Because we're going to do normal stuff. <laughs> Did you enjoy this? Well, section I always, of you know, I just feel like um, anyone who criticizes this or people are like, why? She's amazing. <laughs> and I, I just I get it. I get it. I totally get the appeal. She gets it. I just don't feel it. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is what's going to happen. The House of Representatives is going to impeach Secretary Mayorkas, and there is absolutely nothing anyone can do to stop it. That's going to happen. Uh, in my district in Texas, we're feeling this. In Arizona, they're feeling it. In California, they're feeling it. There is not one district in America that is not impacted by this border crisis. Tony Gonzalez weighing in tex- over Texas. He's probably one of the most respected people when it comes to the border. He uh, actually has that area of Uvalde. Martha McCallum here. The story starts at 3 o'clock. She's always stops by uh, right before at least one time during the week. Martha, so this impeachment is going to take place. They got two or three articles passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they only have two Republicans that don't seem on board, Ken Buck and Thomas uh, uh, mm-hmm. Well, What's at stake if they don't get them? I mean, they only have a one-vote margin, I That's think, right. the speaker said. Well, well, Scalise comes in, but how bad could Steve Scalise be? He's not even around. You know, I, I mean, I don't know what else, what other levers you're supposed to pull when you're witnessing a complete failure, right? So people say, oh, he shouldn't, you know, he shouldn't be impeached. So Michael Chertoff wrote a piece the other day, former DHS secretary. It's not right to impeach him. He's just carrying out the policy. It's like, so... Honestly, I I think he and and there's always been buzz that he would like to have a stronger border policy than the one that he's overseen and been able to carry out, Mayorkas. 
Because he gets embarrassed, probably, I would imagine, going out there and saying that the border's closed when you have 300,000 people pour across it in, in the month of December. And then the president last week said, oh, it is a crisis, without telling him. Right. Exactly. But, you know, at some point, someone – I mean, I feel like he should just resign. I mean, of course. I, I, if you're overseeing a total disaster and a failure on – you know, and Democrats and Republicans can all see it living all across the country – I don't know how you get up and go to work every day and keep carrying out that policy. So I think something has got to give. It's been over 100 years since a cabinet member has been impeached. But I I, I think that, you know, you there has it. to be some ramifications when you're if you're running a company and the company is failing, it's tanking, the stock price is going through the basement, you get fired. You know, you have to leave your job because you're not doing a good job. So um, I, I, I cannot understand why this would not be i mean it seems to me like it's the the last straw i don't know what other what other mm. cards they have to play other than to try to to, to push him out so right we'll and see. i like eric swalwell saying he we got to give him the tools got to give the president and the secretary the tools is that the biggest joke it is the biggest joke the president has a lot of tools i don't know how he can walk out there every day and say well they just got to give me the money I mean, this is the constant refrain. Like, oh, you know, when COVID schools are shut down, oh, we'd reopen, but we need more money. Garbage. Garbage. It's not the case. Okay. There's plenty of things you could have right now, the laws that are on the books. If someone leaves their country in South America, Central America, they're supposed to go to the first safe country that they go to. Right. And declare asylum and go through the process. Right. I mean, it's, there are so many laws that he could, you know, and catch and release. He could deport people. There's a lot of ways to deal with this problem. And Greg Abbott, honestly, is the only one who seems to be dealing with right. it in a way that makes different because now all those people are headed to California because they can't get across the Texas border anymore. It is a nationwide problem. You got Denver. It's a problem. You have uh, yeah. it's, Philadelphia is overrun. You have New York. Chicago's overrun. And, and well, was San Francisco and Los Angeles. Brilliant to send people on buses because, honestly, it's the only way. It, ga- it changed the game. On this entire topic. Do you know per capita, Denver has it worse than even New York? And they are totally overwhelmed. The Democratic mayor sat down with Lawrence to talk about the problem. He still doesn't get his role in it. Still loves the sanctuary city situation. Got seven. Every hotel room we have in the city of Denver is full. We're at 5,000 people in shelter. And we have more coming every day. And so we have to reactivate the policy we've always had, which is you can come and stay for a length of time, uh, but it can't be forever. At what point does your city reach its breaking point? Yeah, I think our city is very close to its breaking point now, and we've been talking to leaders in D.C. around the country about why we need them to take action here. I think we have successfully welcomed almost 40,000 migrants in the last year, and, and we know what it takes to do this successfully. We just need that help. Right, and overrun all the schools that are already overtaxed. They had gun issues, drug issues in these schools, and now you got these illegal immigrants. And he goes, we've been able to welcome. Just that attitude. That when you say that, you're saying those people are more important than your people. And there's no other way to take it. If you are a sanctuary city, you don't get mad at the federal government for saying, give me money. No, you're the problem. That's fundamentally you're the problem. And the federal government makes it worse. Well, this is the policy. And, you know, I always go back in my mind to the debate in Nashville between Trump and Biden. And now President Biden was asked about this. He said, you should come. You should surge to the border. You should come. We have played it many times on my show because these are not my words. These are his words. 
you should come. You should surge to the border. So that's exactly what has happened. With their T-shirts on, by the way. Remember they Absolutely. were coming through with the Biden-Harris Absolutely. T-shirts? But so now take some responsibility and figure out how to fix the problem. I would help. So now you have a situation in New York, and I'm sure you've seen the video, where you have this migrant center on 42nd Street in New York City, mm-hmm. a very busy area. They get out of control. Cops get co- come in, and they start beating up the cops. And the video goes on for a long time. And it just tells the whole story. They don't respect the country. They don't have any the gratefulness for the food and the accommodations they're getting. And they don't respect our law enforcement. And they knew exactly what they were doing, too, because they had their hoods up. Yep. They're making sure their faces were blocked because they wanted to land their punches by people in a, in a city that had to welcome them. So I mean, it's it's horrifying. It's horrifying. And why should the NYPD <clears throat> be subjected to this because this is a policy disaster. They have enough on their hands, our New York City police officers. You know, there's actions being taken within the city council to remove a lot of their rights anyway as police officers. So that's a whole other battle that's going on. Now they have to deal with being punched and kicked by migrants who are here by the good graces of the city of New York and are staying in hotels and being taken care of. Only one of those guys is still being held, is my understanding. The other two were, yeah, the, were, were yeah, released. Right, and they're trying to find more. No kidding. It was about 10, 15 of them. And by the way, wouldn't it have been great to see somebody walk in and try to grab those guys and pull them off? Oh if you did what these guys did here in any other country, you would be deported oh my instantly. Instantly, if you are caught breaking any law in most countries, you are deported instantly. It's 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 laughable. It's embarrassing that the United States of America doesn't have at least that ability that other countries take advantage of all the time. Well, if you have a green card, and I know a couple of people on a green card, especially in the soccer world, they're all trying to become yeah. citizens, but they do it right. Pay a lot of money, pay a lot of fines, earn a green card. Do you know if you get a DWI and a green card, you're gone? Commit That's a felony, right. you're gone. That is you right. You know, uh, not report an accident, you're gone. Anything. you got to play the perfect game. But you know what? They enjoyed it. They said, this is what it takes right. to be an American. I'll take the be. challenge. That's the way it should be. So I on know one hand, we know, how, we know how to report them. have gone through the process to become American citizens. It costs them a fortune that they don't have, paying attorneys, waiting for paperwork. And then, you know, I've seen them you know, tearing up on the day that they become American citizens. That is the process. That is the way that this should work. Everybody is proud of the mosaic of international backgrounds of the people of this country. It's the history of the country. But there has to be a process. You can't just flood the border. I always say, can you imagine if, you know, 300,000 people showed up at the New York City airports and pushed their way through the turnstiles? Right. Uh, Not a chance. Yeah. Uh, but that's what they're doing. But it's okay at southern border. But the other thing is you have that special, those special rules that Dave Rubin exposed that are out there that you don't need any ID if you're an illegal immigrant. You don't have to give your name. You can float right through. Nobody doesn't benefit anyone. And this is what's going to be the stark reality when it comes to the election. The president wants to say Donald Trump is Hitler. You can't elect him. Donald Trump's trying to say, I'll secure the border. I'll give us pride overseas. I'll rebuild the military again. I'll begin to get it back using our natural resources when it comes to energy. Uh, right away, you've made everybody's lives better. I won't take away your gas stove. How about that? You know, wouldn't that be nice? I won't put a windmill in your backyard. Yeah. That's not going to work and make a ton of noise and kill a lot of birds. I was just thinking that I, heard, I have to look at this again, but I heard Dan Goldman testify yesterday that the Biden administration has deported way more people than the Trump administration did. 
the numbers are exponentially enormous now. Mm. Of course, there's more people. Even if I, I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't, I don't even know what what to say. Right. We we read <laughs> a story so today crazy. that these uh, these uh, peaceful protesters outside an abortion clinic that stayed there, they're going to be brought to trial, and they could be looking at uh, ten years in prison. So peacefully protesting in front of an abortion clinic gets you ten years in prison. Uh, and if you are beating up a cop, one guy's a multiple offender. You're beating your cop, you're out the same day. Not even from this country. Come on. It's a, a few more minutes. Martha McCallum will exclusively give us her thoughts about her show. Coming up next, you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. Yeah, that is Corey Bush. And, uh, of course, uh, Corey Bush, uh, the, uh, she came to prominence in Ferguson right after that shooting. She ended up going into Congress, and she's an unabashed basher of the cops. Now she finds herself under a massive investigation by the Justice Department, not right-wing MAGA Republicans, because of her use of campaign dollars for security led by her husband, who has no qualifications. So that's the allegation, Martha McCallum. But according to Cory Bush, it's because Republicans don't like her. Well, uh you know, it, you trying it to take always, her side? No, it always <laughs> amazes me. You know, it, it happens time and time again. I, I, I think the problem is that uh, there's there's a lot of corruption among public officials. I think there's a feeling that it's okay to blur these lines. It's okay to hire somebody who you're in a relationship with to provide your security. And and good for the Justice Department for digging into this. Um, you know, I, I just think people there's a, a loss of integrity apparently, and I think it needs to be called out and called out forcefully. Do you think this should help? I mean, who's going to re- who should be reelecting her? I mean, come on. What does it take? She doesn't do anything. She protests uh, uh, against American interest in Gaza, American uh, foreign policy, against, against the, the sitting president, against the police every day. <laughs> against the police. I mean, but she's hiring hundreds of thousands of dollars of private security to make sure that she's safe. Meanwhile, she wants to rob people in cities like Minneapolis, all across the country where we have seen murders skyrocket. And she wants those people to have less protection. Right. It doesn't it doesn't fly. I cannot imagine how she gets reelected in her district, but stranger things have happened. So let's talk about your show, because that's what you're really all about, Martha. You're about three o'clock this afternoon. So we are keeping a very close eye on this a commitment to retaliate for the death of three American service members two women and one man whose bodies are going to come home at the end of this week. The president has now said he will be there to receive them at Dover. This is one of the most solemn, difficult responsibilities the commander in chief can carry out. Uh, we expect that this retaliatory retaliatory, excuse me, strike is going to per- perhaps take place over a number of days. It could start as early as today. So we're going to be watching that. We're going to talk to Tom Cotton. We're going to get his thoughts on what he thinks needs to happen here and how he thinks the the president is is handling this because clearly we are in, as Tony Blinken says, the most dangerous situation we have seen in the Middle East since 1973. I mean, some people take it back to 1938 in terms of the, the dangers that the world faces right now. I think this is a, you know, I, I, I do worry that the, People that 
folks in the country are not as focused on this as maybe they should be because I think that we may be entering a very, very difficult period. Right. Uh, there's a lot of people on the right who think we shouldn't do anything. That's true. Let's just pull our troops out. Let's not worry about it. The one well, thing, I mean, yeah. that's why you have to articulate and persuade the exactly. country. When the president was asked about this in Pennsylvania, you know, he was sipping on a smoothie and talking into a bookcase for part of his answer. And then he said, oh, well, they know. Don't worry. Iran knows how I feel. At some point, you've got to stand in front of What is the Biden doctrine except for don't be careful and don't? What is it? What is what? How does he see our place in the world going forward? And I'll tell you something else. Former President Trump needs to articulate it better as well. All he says is it wouldn't have happened if I were here. Maybe that's true. He certainly had, you know, a lot of strength in the first term that prevented these things from happening. But he also has to talk a little bit about how he sees the next four years, if indeed he's reelected. Right. Uh, so and NATO is still waiting on Hungary to give Sweden the green light. Uh, the European Union is waiting for Hungary to uh, green light the aid everybody else wants to give Ukraine. We're still waiting for Congress to even take up Ukraine aid, and they deserve the aid. And for those people who think that you're just giving money away to Ukraine, yes, there should be accountability. Yes, there seems to have been some problems with some of the aid. Got it. Understand it. But for those people who think uh, that they can't win, uh, the Mujahideen was pretty successful with the Soviet Union with about over 200,000. And no one thought those guys with Stinger missiles could have any success. And next thing you know, the Russians left. These guys get their country invaded, too. They beat them head to head in every fight. Over 300,000 Russians are dead. And if they are able to take their, this part of this country, they're coming for Georgia next to finish off that job. Moldova, the Baltics. Talk to them over there. It's not a campaign slogan in America. Well, you know, this is a big decision for 2024. And at this moment, you have Nikki Haley speaking very forcefully and continuing to be very involved in these fights. And, uh, you know, President Trump, I think, will have to be more detailed about how he sees it. Right. So I think they're going to uh, Jennifer Griffin's reporting says it looks like the the IRGC. So these uh, the Iranian Republican Guard sites uh, are located outside Iran. And they are going to be – they're being targeted. Uh, the Hezbollah, the Kitab Hezbollah in the Iraq area is going to be targeted. And whoever else might be located in Syria might be targeted, and it's not going to be one. I mean, and then what? I, I, you know, it would be nice to see an element of surprise at this point. I, I think they float these things. They allow some of this information to leak. I'm not sure why. I, I think the – element of surprise is very important in these moments. So now you're going to have them clearing out a lot of those sites, doing what they can to move their most senior personnel out of those places. So, you know, I I think, you know, the Soleimani hit was we woke up in the morning. Oh, so that happened. Right. Um, I I think it's something we need to revisit. So the other thing I wanted to bring up to you is this UNRWA aid, uh, this aid organization providing most of the aid they say to Gaza. Turns out 13 of them took part in the October 7th attacks. Many others were complicit and were aiding from handing out ammo on down. 159 working for Hamas, working in anti-Semitic ways. Here's Matt Miller at the State Department yesterday, cut 15. I mean, the U.N. has said a couple of times in public statements that it's an independent investigation, but it's very much not. It's being conducted by a U.N. internal office. Do you have full trust that the U.S. is going to investigate itself? 
and these allegations uh, we, we do have confidence in the UN's ability to conduct this investigation. We have been engaging with them about what that investigation might look like. I will keep the, those conversations private, but we do broadly have faith in their ability to investigate this. So I sense we're going to pose the aid and we're going to give it back. We always give $150 million back. Trump stopped it. Right. I mean, this is a classic example of we, we saw pretty much the Biden administration reverse every single thing that had a Trump name on it. Right. If it was in existence, it was reinstated. Excuse me. So you have to look at the situation and ask why. If they had dug in a little bit in terms of what the sensibilities were, what was going on inside these organizations at the U.N., maybe they wouldn't have decided to refund them. Now, Obviously, everyone wants to see aid get through, right? Aid needs to get through. On the other hand, when you have these institutions infiltrated, it just, to me, it just smacks of an environment at the UN where where this is okay. Martha's on at three. Watch. Thanks, Martha. Thanks, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.